We are doing a series that's an un-series. None of these have anything to do with anything except they all start with un. It's kind of as a church trying to listen to what God's saying right now, not be so scripted with a book. And um, I, read, I read two things happened this week that really grabbed my attention. The first one is this verse in Acts. How many of you have a name, have a biblical name? Like you're a name of somebody in the Bible, okay? You'll relate to this. If you don't, um, like my name's Paul. He's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Um, I had, a, I had a, a friend in youth ministry who, his name was Mark, and his verse, he loved it. Um, he always felt like, you ever feel like you don't do a good job serving Jesus? Do you ever feel that way, or is it just me? He felt like he let God down all the time. And he said one day he was reading the Bible, and he came across this verse where um, Paul said, sin for Mark because he's useful for me in my ministry. And he just said for him, it was just a moment where God just changed his life. He was like, wow, like God can use me. And it was because his name was in there. So this, this is in um, Acts 28. It's the end of Acts. How many of you were here when we went through Acts? Yes? Okay. Five of us. Fantastic. Apparently that was a really bad series. Nobody came back. Um, here's what it says at the end of the book of Acts. It says this, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Verse 31, the last verse of the book of Acts. Okay, so just let me recap Acts if you weren't here. Here's what we learned about the gospel and the church in the book of Acts. It went like this. Really good, really bad. Really good, really bad. People receiving Jesus, people stoning people. Right? Remember that? Like, we always we kept noticing how something really good would happen, and then immediately... Something bad would happen to the people that were preaching the gospel. God used persecution to spread the church, to spread the gospel. So that's the whole book of Acts. And here's, here's, how, here's how it's all wrapped up. The last verse, talking about Paul, it says this, Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. The last, that phrase, if you read it, and I know I'm reading the NIV, if you read it, in the original Greek, the last word in the book of Acts is unhindered. The last word. Like the last thing he wanted them to know was this. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care who's attacking you. The gospel is unhindered. And so that's our word this week, unhindered. It challenges me because I want that in my life. And, and then when you know, um. We're talking this past week, and this is the book that the women are going through. So I'm sneaking all the way to the end here. She said, i got to read you this story. And I said, and she read it to me. I was like, i got to use that on Sunday, right? And here's what it is. Christine Kane's the author. Here's what she says. I almost missed the wonder I experienced one Friday afternoon when in the checkout line at the grocery store, I was getting frustrated that the clerk at the register, a young girl, was taking so long. I grumbled to myself, can't you hurry? Now, none of us would ever have that problem, right? Standing in the checkout line at Walmart, six or seven people deep. The sign clearly says if there's more than five waiting that they will open up more registers, but they don't. And so you get, start to get frustrated. That's where she is. God heard my unvoiced question, and he nudged me. Christine, I heard him say, that girl is scheduled to have an abortion on Monday. I was puzzled. God, what can I possibly do? She doesn't even know me. She'll think I'm crazy if I say anything to her about it. But God pushed harder, and this time more like a shove. 
If you are my hands, if you're my hands and feet on the earth, then do the work that I would do. Do all you can to let people know that I've not abandoned them. I will do the rest. I looked again at the girl, scanning the items of the customer ahead of me. Suddenly I saw not just someone slowing me down in the way, but a girl perhaps scared inside, preoccupied with a million questions, hurting, frustrated that she has to go through life in such ordinary motions when something so life-changing is going on inside her. So I prayed. I waited for God to give me the right words. And suddenly what I thought was an everyday shopping trip took on a much greater significance. Much more was at stake. I even felt a brief panic attack. Anybody feeling a panic attack right now, just putting yourself in that position? What if I'm wrong? What if I'm mistaken about hearing God's voice? I don't want to hurt this girl. I don't want to be presumptuous. Is this what it meant to be awake? She had prayed for God to wake her up to the world around her. When I got to the front of the line, I smiled at the girl as she scanned my items, and I said quietly, excuse me, I know you might think I'm crazy, but I just wanted you to know that the thing you have scheduled to do on Monday isn't the only option. There is another way. You don't have to do it. The girl looked up at me, and she began to cry. It's going to be okay, I told her. Would you like to talk about it when you get off of work? She wiped her tears. Yes, she said. Yes. I asked her name. Katya, she said. I'll be off work in a couple of hours. We agreed on a place to meet, and I walked out of the store knowing that God had just wakened me to something great. And later, after chatting with Katya, I realized God had prompted me to help save a life. He had wakened me to be his hands and his feet because there are people everywhere who are hurting and dying. I never saw Katya after that afternoon, but she did allow me to pray for her and to give her a list of alternatives to abortion with contact information. And I got the impression that she had definitely concluded that God was real. Uh, wouldn't you? <laughs> How else could someone so speak so openly to something that she had been hiding? And that had been a miracle. How could Katya doubt a God in heaven who would tell a woman on earth about what was happening in someone else's life just so he could let her know how much he loved her and that she was not all alone. On that afternoon, Katya felt chosen, which totally changed the decision that she was about to make. When Wendy read that to me, my heart hurt, not because of the story, but because I, I can't speak for you. I want God to move through my life like that. I want to stand in a line and hear him speak to me. I want to experience an unhindered gospel like that. And, and there's, there's one real simple reason why we don't experience that. Um, you, you've, you've, you won't even, you'll think this is crazy because it's so simple. But the reason we can't experience it is, is go ahead, let them, let them hear it. The reason that you and I don't hear what God's saying is because of static in our lives. It's because of distractions and because of hindrances that we allow in our lives. And so this morning, here's, here's your big idea, and then we're just going to walk through it. Um, it's this. If we want to live unhindered, we've got to kill the unnecessary. If we want to live unhindered, we have to kill the unnecessary. Um, before we even start walking through some, some things that might be hindrances in our lives, um, jot down on your sheet Romans 8.1. 
Romans 8.1 is a fantastic verse that you need to hear over and over and over again in your head this morning. It says this, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's just take a quick vote. It's not a trick question. Everybody raise your hands if you think condemnation feels bad. Okay, anybody think condemnation feels good? <laughs> I love to punish myself. You're an idiot, you're an idiot. You know, no, condemnation feels terrible. All right, And there's no condemnation in Christ. If you're in Jesus, if you're following Jesus, there's no condemnation. That's really important. Okay, Everybody say no condemnation. Here's why that's important. Because this morning when we talk through these things, I can guarantee you, whether it's the four things I'm going to share or whether it's something that God's going to put his finger on in your heart, there, I promise you there's places in your life you're going to think, God, that, I'm so distracted there. I could do so much better there. What is wrong with me? I'm a terror. And it just becomes, condemnation just pushes you down. Man, that's never God. Conviction, on the other hand, also sometimes does not feel good either. But the cool thing is that condemnation pushes us down. Conviction is God going, man, you can do so much better. I, want, I still want you. I love that story about Katya because here's a woman who could have felt very condemned, right? I mean, wow, God, thanks a lot. Like, I'm not even sure how I feel about you, and you sent some woman to Walmart who's already mad because she's standing in line, and now she's telling me all the bad stuff that I've done. That's condemnation. But what's so great about that story is that the grace of God speaks through Christine Kane and lifts a woman up and gives her hope. I, I, I just can speak from, I want that. I want to come back next Sunday. I want to stand in this pulpit and tell you, guess what happened at the beach? I was walking on the beach and I really think, I think I heard God say, and so I acted, and here's the end of the story. I want to tell stories like that. And I'll never tell stories like that if I don't get rid of the unnecessary in my life. So here's four possible unnecessary hindrances. Could we list more than four? Yes, absolutely, okay? And these might not even be good, a good four. These are just the ones that I've got down this morning, okay? So here's number one. If you're jotting them down, just write down sin. We'll just get this one out of the way right away. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That sin is like kudzu, right? And if you've got kudzu at your house, you ever try to get rid of kudzu? You can't. It just we have a back a screen porch. I'm not even joking. The kudzu somehow finds a way to come up into the, the porch through the screen. I get so mad, I just want to rip it off, and then like all the screen comes off, and Terry did such a great job putting it in there. I don't want to do that because I want to make him mad. It's just kudzu's everywhere. This is what this is like. So let's get the obvious one out of the way first. Sin. It's probably smart to not have sin in our lives. But here's why I'm bringing it up. Not because we could see everything is sin. Sometimes we do that. I think we have to talk more specifically. This says that there are sins that easily entangle us. Let me give you one sin that does not easily entangle me. Getting smashed at a bar. It just doesn't entangle me. Do you know why? Because I think beer smells like somebody's butt. Just no. I mean, not that I would have any reason to know what somebody's... Anyway, I just, I'm just not tempted by that at all. Some people are. 
Some people, that's a sin that would easily entangle them. You know what, you know what easily entangles me? Rage. Now you're thinking, I'm going to pick my times when I talk to Paul. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know how you are, but I'll just, I could just be the happiest guy in the world. And, and I can just go from happy to rage like that. I mean, my whole life, I just, that's something that I have to really be aware of. Anger and temper and just flying off the handle. Even if, it's, even if it doesn't come out of my mouth, I'm still wrestling with it on the inside. But I know some of y'all, you're like angels. I mean, somebody could, we, we joke all the time about the dogs in our neighborhood. I don't know why dogs can't go to use the bathroom in their own yard. But they always like to go to the neighboring yard, right? And we got a lot of neighborhood dogs. We have a lot of foreign poop in our yard. And I don't know why the owners can't take care of that, but they don't. And sometimes, man, you just get so mad about things like that. But I know some of you guys, you'd be cool with it. You're like, bring on all the neighborhood dogs. You'd have signs up say, poop here. <laughs> and you're cool with it. Ah, you know, they're just so cute and furry. We just love those dogs. It's just not me. See, but what easily entangles me may not easily entangle you in the same way. This just says, look. You want to get rid of distractions in your life? The very first, it's not even potentially an unnecessary hindrance. Sin is a hindrance, period. So if you want to get rid of it, get rid of it all the way. What the sin is in your life. The point of this is to stop wondering why we can't make progress with Jesus when there's obvious sin that God's putting his finger on. Have you ever done that? I, I do that. I'll say, God, why, why can't I hear you right now? I really want to hear what you're saying, and I'm, I'm really trying to listen. And he's like, dude, like the obvious elephant in the room is whatever that sin is. It's like if you'll, if you'll take care of that, like repent of that, you'll be amazed at how quickly you can hear me. It would be like driving down the road in your car, listening to a bunch of static and getting mad at your radio. Why can't I hear the music? And if the radio could talk, the radio would say, because you're stupid. Turn the dial. Away from the static and tune in the music. Sin does that. Just throw it off. Here's the second thing that could potentially distract us. We're just going to go in order of obvious to least obvious, okay? Um, material things and money. You don't have to turn there, but in Luke chapter 12, um, there's four verses, 17 through 21, where there's this guy, he's a really successful businessman, and he's just like, he's got all kinds of stuff. He's got CDs, he's got everything you could ever want. He's got so much stuff that he doesn't know where to store it. Nobody in this room has that problem. That's why Tupperware makes a lot of money. That's why Rubbermaid could be a competitor with Tupperware, and they're both still in business and doing just fine. Because we've got a lot of stuff and nowhere to put it. This guy's like, you know what I'll do? I'm not going to have a yard sale. I don't know what your first response is to stuff, but our first response is I'm going to have a yard sale. He's like, I'm not having a yard sale. I'm going to build a bigger barn. It's in the Bible. I'll build a bigger barn so I can put all my stuff in the barn. And if I need to, I'll even build a bigger barn, barn past that so I can put more stuff in that barn. Because i got a lot of stuff. Because I'm all that. I'm a really good businessman. The Bible says that God looks at him and says, you fool. Tonight your soul is required of you. So what do we take away from that? We take away that, listen, material things really can distract us. They really can be an unnecessary distraction. And I know right now what you're thinking is, no, there's no way that material things and money can be an unnecessary distraction. I have to have that stuff to pay the bill. The pill is the unnecessary distraction. 
Anything that's taking our eyes off of Jesus is an unnecessary distraction. And sometimes material things can be just that. 1 Timothy 6.10, you've heard this quoted wrong your whole life. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil. It doesn't say that money is just the love of money. So here's the thing. We'll take a few verses and put them in context. Matthew 6.21 says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So what does that mean? It means this. It means that we give our treasure to what we love. None of you are taking the best stuff you have in your life and giving it to a stranger. You're taking the best stuff you have in your life, what you value the most, and you're giving it to people that you love. We give our treasure to what we love. God says, look, don't let that stuff get in the way. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be. I want your heart to be with me. So, Is it good to have lots of fun stuff? Oh, man, I'm, we got to teach them a lot of stuff, Mel. It's absolutely good to have a lot of stuff. Is it even cool like to get on, um, well, I was going to say get on water skis and smile while you're skiing, but it depends on how well you can ski, right? Because some of you, like the first time I got up on water skis and like as I got up on the skis, I was really excited. And then as the boat was pulling me and I was just, te- I was just tethered to a small little rope, it suddenly dawned on me I didn't know how to get out. And it, I just, my, br- my brain just stopped working. I never even for a second thought just let go of the handle and just fall back down into the water. They'll pick you up. So I'm like thinking through possible scenarios. I think I actually intentionally did like a face plant barrel roll to stop skiing because I just couldn't think anymore. I was just terrified. I'm up on these skis. I don't know how you, I don't know. At some point, we got to start thinking, it's okay to enjoy stuff. We just can't let it distract us. Here's the third thing. This won't apply to any of us, but I'll say it anyway. The cares of life. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus is telling this parable, and um, he's talking about a guy that throws out a lot of seed. Some of the seed grows, and some of it doesn't. Um, In Mark chapter 4, verse 9, he says this. I'm sorry, verse 19. He says, uh, still others in 18 like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Um, these are people, I want you to understand this, these are people that really love Jesus. They're like me and you, right? Like we really love Jesus. And then they really get distracted by the cares of this life. Look at the progression. They all start with C. Cares, cash, covet, choke. <laughs> I love that. So the worries of this life, that's the cares. The deceitfulness of wealth, there's the cash. The desire for other things, there's the covet. They come in and choke the word. You ever been really, really on fire for Jesus? I mean, like, totally on fire. It's like your first day back after youth camp, right? And you're totally into Jesus. And then it doesn't take too long, and you start to get a little distracted with the cares of this life. It's just just enough to kind of Move your face a little bit away from Jesus. And then all of a sudden you start thinking, what is it? That's a real care. And there's a bill attached. Like, holy cow, I got a power bill and I got no money to pay the power bill. And then all of a sudden you start coveting your neighbor who has all the money in the world. And they can pay their power bill. And before long, man, that word's choked. It's gone. It's a distraction. The cares of this life. And then here's the fourth one. This is the weirdest one of all. Um, 
the things that we do for God. Think about that for just a second, okay? That's crazy. Like the things that we do for God can actually be an unnecessary distraction from living unhindered for Jesus. I want you to turn to this one. This is in Luke chapter 10 because this one's so weird. I don't want you to think for a second that I'm making it up. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. It's possible that you're here and you don't love Jesus. And so right now you're thinking, I knew there was a reason I didn't love Jesus. Because I don't have to to do anything for him. It won't distract me. But if you're not serving Jesus, you don't have to worry about this one, okay? This This is for the Christians here, the believers, the people that are actually following Jesus, the church folk. Luke chapter 10, verse 40. Let's start in verse 38. This is the whole story. Jesus and his disciples were on their way. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he had to say. But Martha was distracted, there's our word, by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. I really want you to get this. Martha got distracted from Jesus by all the things she was doing for Jesus. I, I don't, you maybe have never been there. I've been there. You just, you're doing so much for God. Somehow you miss that you're doing it for God. And then you don't see God anymore. You just see all the stuff you're doing, how tired we are. We get distracted. And it's crazy to think that the things that we do for God could distract us. But that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Does it, so does it mean that we stop doing stuff? Does it mean that we stop serving? Does it mean that we don't go in the nursery? We don't work at the sound booth? We don't hold up the pole sign anymore? I mean, what does it mean? And we just stop all that? And the answer is probably so. Huh? Which is a little scary to say as the pastor, because like I could walk in next week and we have nobody serving, right? You're just like, I'm just trying to live out the sermon, dude. I'm distracted. But probably that's what we should do. We should probably stop what we're doing until our eyes are full of Jesus again. Because that's what God wants. He wants us to serve unhindered. He wants the gospel to be unhindered. And it's never going to be unhindered if we're distracted by these. So there's um, four. You could probably come up with 400 more. And, and here's, here's the reason we need to get rid of them. There's only one. It's real short. Aren't you glad? There's only one reason we need to get rid of these distractions. And this is it. Because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. Philippians chapter 3. This is Paul. Paul wrote the letter that we know as Philippians. This is the same Paul that was described at the end of of Acts. It's the same Paul who experienced an unhindered gospel. He wrote these words at the end of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 verse 8. He said, everything that was to my gain I now count as loss. Everything. Because... It doesn't compare to the greatness of Jesus. I love that. It's all about a value question, right? So why would we ever look at something that's really good and say it's not good enough? Only because we found something better, right? Now, let's don't apply that to your marriage, okay? (laughs) 
You see all of you get in your cars today. Well, babe, sorry, found something better. You're out. But when it comes to the things in our lives, the things that are really, the things we care about, holding that newborn, cares this life. What do we do with this? She, she just pooped and it squeezed out of the diaper and onto me. Oh, she's going to grow up and go to college. I don't know if I have the money. See how the cares become about that and then about this. And ah, what do we say? So wait a second. God, she points me to you. Compared to you, none of this matters. What, what kind of things can God do in your life if he matters more than everything else? Is there anything he couldn't do? Do you see how you start to feel unhindered? I could do anything, good or bad. Two quick stories to illustrate what I'm talking about. I heard of a missionary family one time where they got the whole family, the dad, the mom, the three kids. I can relate to that because I've got me and Wendy and three kids. And they put them in a big old hole. And they started shoveling dirt into the hole. And every time they got to the neck level of one of the kids, they would stop and look at the dad and say, we'll stop filling the hole with dirt if you'll simply deny Jesus. And so the dad has to look at his kids and he had to say, I can't deny Jesus as he watched them throw dirt over the youngest child. And then they get to the next child and they stop again. We'll stop it. And then all the way up until it's just him. And at that point, I'm sure it was an easy choice. The point here is we would never do that if we're being hindered by the cares of this world. If we're being distracted by sin, things in our life that can take our eyes off of Jesus. There's only one way you do that. And that's what you see Jesus, period. That's a crazy story, right? It's like, just give me the, give me the Christine Kane story. I want to be in the checkout line, right? I just want to, I want to hear something from God and tell it to the woman. I'm telling you right now, we'll never do that or this if we're not willing to throw off the things that distract us and hinder us. Because I just want Jesus. I want him to matter so much to me that I would do anything to have him. You've probably never heard of a man named Bill Broadhurst, and I had not heard of this man either until I ran across this story. Um, Bill Broadhurst was a runner, wanted to be the best runner he could be. Problem was he had a brain aneurysm. And so because he had the brain aneurysm, he couldn't really run well. He couldn't even really walk well. He kind of had to like put one leg out and pivot on it and then do it over and over and over again. And he had this one really big hero. His name was Bill Rogers. If you're a runner at all, you've probably heard the name Bill Rogers. He's an Olympic champion. And he just loved Bill Rogers. He loved everything about him. And he heard that Bill Rogers was going to be running in a 10K. And so Bill Broadhurst starts thinking, well, you know what? I'll probably never, I'll never get to run with Bill Rogers, but I could at least go be a part of a race where he's running. And so he signs up for a 10K. This dude's got a, he had aneurysm 10 years ago. He can barely walk. He signs up for a 10K. He gets to the start line with 1,200 other people who actually look like runners. The gun sounds. Everybody takes off. Everybody takes off. And here's, here's old Bill just walking like that. 29 minutes later, Bill Rogers is done. Now, if you're not a runner, you're like, whatever. 29 minutes for 6.2 miles? Dude, that's smoking. And he's done. He gets his medal. Two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill Broadhurst comes across the line in pain, 
haven't been made fun of the entire race by people along the road. They've already, you know, they've taken away the policemen that stopped the traffic. He's all on his own. And what got him to the finish line was simply this. I don't care when I finish. I just want to finish. That's the goal. And so I'm going to throw off everything that I don't need. I'm not going to listen to these people that are making fun of me, that are calling me crippled. I'm just going to go. And when he crosses the finish line, a few people are there, kind of, you know, clapping for him. And this man steps out from the crowd. And he recognizes right away, that's Bill Rogers, Olympic champion. And he walks over to him and he takes off his medal and puts it on Bill Broadhurst and says, you've worked harder for this today. You're the winner of this race. So Hebrews 12.1 says this, let us throw off the things that distract us, the things that hinder us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. This is not a race for you to win. This is a race for you to run faithfully to Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your race. He is who waits at the end. And I would never stand up here and tell you to get rid of stuff just to get rid of stuff. But I can stand here with all the authority of Scripture and tell you and me that when we really see Jesus, there is nothing in our lives that can compare to Him. And that's why Paul said these words as we wrap it up. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Hear these last few words. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. How do we decide what we do and do not need in our lives? Because we'll all have different answers, right, for different stuff. Um, some answers will be obvious, like sin probably is never going to help you move closer to Jesus. Others are going to require more thought for you. Like if we just threw out media, right? We could, we could argue all day long, like, what movie should I see or what, what movie should I not see? Can I just, like, boil it all down and give you one simple question that you can ask yourself anytime, anywhere, and it'll help you kind of navigate this? Here's the question. Will this move me closer or further from Jesus? Period. Will this, whatever this is, will this move me closer or further from Jesus? And if the answer, honestly, is further, then we have to ask ourselves, is it worth it? Is it worth whatever I might enjoy in this to take me further from Jesus? Um, here's how I want you to apply this message. I want you to take your piece of paper. I want you to turn it over. It's totally blank on the other side. And I just want you, you're like, I don't have a piece of paper. Take your hand. <laughs> get a pen. I don't have a pen. Prick your finger. Squeeze. I just want you to write down, just you and Jesus, Okay. Just you and Jesus. What's one thing right now in your life that's, that is hindering you? What's one thing in your life right now that's distracting you, that is moving you farther from Jesus instead of closer to Him? What's one thing? While I pray to close this out, I want you 
to pray. And I want you to write that down. You're not going to turn that in. That's just you and God. And why am I writing it down? Because our hearts will lie to us. And there's something about writing a word that holds us accountable. And now I want you to start to ask God, how can I get rid of this? How can I remove this from my life so that I can run a little better, a little farther, so that I can get rid of the static and all the things that are in the way so that I can actually hear and see you?